Black women are leaving positions of power because we are constantly being harassed in one form or another. And it's not because we are weak. It is not a matter of strength. It is a matter of self-preservation. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. When Tabitha Moore founded the Rutland chapter of the NAACP in 2016, she didn't imagine that advocating for tolerance and racial justice in her community would lead to its opposite, an outpouring of bigotry and hate. Following threats and harassment directed at her children and herself, Moore, a sixth-generation Vermonter, announced last year that she was stepping down as head of the NAACP chapter that she founded. She is not alone. Reporter Emma Cotton of Vermont Digger has just published an article detailing how three women of color who are all community leaders in southern Vermont are leaving their leadership positions following multiple incidents of racist harassment. Moore and one of the other women featured in the article have felt forced to move from their homes. We spoke with Tabitha Moore about how her racial justice work in Vermont ended up making her a target of a relentless campaign of racism at what needs to be done if Vermont is to be a safe and accepting place for BIPOC people. Tabitha Moore, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thanks for having me. You were one of several... BIPOC women featured in an article in Vermont Digger by Emma Cotton. Uh, and it was a story about women of color who are leaving Rutland County or who are leaving positions of authority um, or of public positions in the county. Um, and I know there are more than uh, those who were written about in the article. Why are you and so many BIPOC women who are public figures stepping down from those roles? Right. When you're a public figure, you expect a certain level of, you know, pushback. There's always going to be something. At some point, though, uh, the attacks become so intensely personal uh, and your colleagues, um, the people who are entrusted, you know, with your care, the people that you are hoping will um, intervene somehow, don't. And when it gets to that level, uh, you just realize that the only person that's going to protect you or your family is yourself. And so you make decisions based on that. Um, because ultimately, you know, especially when you're faced with threats like uh, Lisa, myself, um, and some of the other women there, as well as across Vermont, uh, have faced, um, you decide that you're not going to put yourself in that level of harm's way anymore. Now, again, all of us are still maintaining fairly public presences. We're still doing a lot of different um, work, but it's just, um, it's not healthy and it becomes just not worth it. The article uh, in Vermont Digger focused on you and two other women. Are there others who you know who are also stepping down from public roles, women of color? Yeah, um, another woman, Alicia um, Maddox, out in Hartford, just stepped down from her role, um, citing the same sorts of things. And I think that that's what's so wild about this is that we are all experiencing the exact same thing, yet communities are not doing anything about it. And I know another woman of color um, who is considering not um, running again because of the harassment she faces. The minute we get in there, it's not like, oh, we don't like their policies, you know, we don't like the way that they think about um, our community, it's attacks on who we are as people and attacks on our families that just are not tolerable. 
So you founded the uh, NAACP chapter in Rutland in 2016. What happened? What are the specific things that you are talking about that drove you to finally step down from that role? Right. So, you know, when I, when I started the branch, there was a few like, oh, she's, you know, um, she's just crazy, you know, just the typical things that they do with women. And then it came down to this past uh, summer on the heels of, of the murder of George Floyd, I received a few um, anonymous threats um, that were traced back to, well, they couldn't be traced. They were from um, IPs in Canada, which is the same method that they've been using for other people um, across Vermont. Um, then, um, so these may well have been Vermonters, but they were masking the yep. location of their calls. Um, you know, the, um, Tabitha Moore's a black supremacist, like all of this just wild out there stuff really started happening. And then when my daughter, my eldest went to, um, ask the school to raise the black lives matter flag, she became the target of a political bully and, um, and his friends. And, and this was uh, an adult or another student? These are all adults. These are all grown people. Um, and there's a, a page called Rutland Spotlight. I've only seen it. I've heard of it, but I've never actually gone on it because it just seems like such a hateful place. And people would come back to me from our security team because that's how bad it is that we have a security team um, and tell us, you know, like people are saying these sorts of things about your daughter who's 17 years old. I mean, all of these wild, I mean, people that we know, even this one woman was posting, well, she's almost 18. Mind you, my child had just turned 17 and just, well, she's almost 17. So it's okay to attack her. This is what people are saying. The ways that they're justifying their hate and their anger, people I've known my whole life, just suddenly becoming incredibly uh, full of hate and rage toward my daughter and toward me. Um, And I was just like, you know what? I don't need this. All we're trying to do is make this a better place so that all people feel seen heard, felt, believed, um, and she's 17. And this is how you treat people. Um, I don't want to be a community. I don't want to be part of a community that does that. You mentioned um, a, security, mm-hmm. a security team. Is Do you hire private security? No, these are all volunteers, amazing volunteers across Vermont who work um, um, in, in different aspects of doing um, uh, community justice. And they are just people who have done a tremendous job getting to know all of the different players um, um, in the white supremacist movement in Vermont um, and know who we need to be careful of and who we need to watch out for. And um, when I get those anonymous, hateful uh, messages, and, and I should also mention, I also got some from some of my former students, some of my former students' parents, just all of this wild stuff started happening. Um, but these folks are the ones that I send that to to um, help me determine whether um, what level of threat um, we're actually facing here. So the intensity of the harassment really accelerated after the racial justice protests of last spring and summer. Right. And I, and I think, you know, I was out there a lot, obviously, across Vermont in, in Rutland County in particular saying, stop. We need to do something about this. This level of hate is not okay. People did not like that. Um, They can say, oh, I'm not racist all day long, but everything in their actions after proved the opposite. Um, The final straw for me was the night that my um, daughter was house sitting for me while I was working. um, And um, she called me um, crying in the middle of the night because she thought she heard somebody break into the house. 
and um, she was afraid to move. And she said, mom, what if it's all the white people who are mad at me for raising the flag? What if they're here to get me? And for me, that was a moment that I realized that my community was not as welcoming as it needed to be. And my daughter's safety, my kid's safety was not, um, was not as stable and secure as we needed it to be. So where do you, so we're talking about, you know, these protests bubble up in public in yep. 2020. Right. The, the NAACP, your chapter had been in existence for four years. Right. Um, what is it that happened that transformed people, you know, kind of, I guess, quietly tolerating uh, you to openly opposing you? You'd have to ask them. I don't know. I think, um, I think, yeah, I can only guess. I mean, I, yeah, you're interviewing the wrong person if you want to yeah. know why people feel that it's okay to be so hateful um, and to go so unchecked. I mean, across Rutland County, we have so many problems with our municipal leaders and government um, tolerating this sort of behavior. Last night on um, Board of Aldermen meeting in Rutland City, someone used the N-word. Um, they weren't, they were saying that, you know, a, a child felt like they were, and they said the N-word was made to feel like they were this. Nobody checked it. Nobody stopped and said, hold on, you don't have to say the full word for us to know what it means. And this was a white person who used it. Now, like I said, they were trying to, they thought what they were trying to do was defend um, a young black or brown person, but everybody's hearing this and it's not okay. And nobody did anything. Um, and these are the sorts of small things that happen. I mean, look what happened with the Rutland City Board of Aldermen or the post postmaster who's posting intentionally hateful, divisive, untrue um, statements that are uh, racially um, charged and intended to inflame hate. These are social media posts? These are social media posts by the people that are supposed to be leading our community. And they're given, you know, they're given a pass. While people like Lisa or myself um, or Kaya are being actively harassed. And they're like, hmm, um, nobody wants to stay in that position, particularly for free. Like, <laughs> I don't get paid to do this. Like, right. um, so... Yeah, I mean, so what happened is that um, I do think obviously the national discourse on race and the fact that our now former president was one of the most um, hate-filled humans I've ever seen. Like he just, he kept pushing and wanting to people to be angry with each other and, and hate each other. Like somehow it made him less um, less of an idiot. It's <laughs> a horrible thing to say, but less, um, you know, incompetent. That's a better word. Um, and certainly locally, we have, I mean, a number of people who believe in that stuff. And that's what we saw, you know, particularly when Reese um, was able to lobby the school board at Mill River, all of a sudden, all these people started coming out comparing the Black Lives Matter flag to Nazis or saying that the pride flag is perverse, like all of these beliefs that we thought, you know, progressive Vermont thought had gone out with the 80s and 90s, lo and behold, they're still here. And they're very much alive. And they're very, very well. So a bill has now been introduced in the Vermont legislature to ban the flying of any flag at a Vermont school other than an American flag and a Vermont flag. Obviously, this is targeted at Black Lives Matter flag raisings that have gone on around the state, including the one that your daughter uh, supported at her school. What don't white people get about Black Lives Matter and why this is so important? 
Well, again, I think that you have to ask them. Um, and I think, you know, if, if you want to be really, you know, show the whole story, you've got to interview people who harbor those beliefs. So you find out from them, but from where I sit, it looks like incredible discomfort and fear. It looks like um, a belief that they deserve more than anyone else um, as far as basic human rights or that they, they have so little experience with being having rights violated that somebody else just saying, hey, I'm here by raising a flag feels like the most heinous, like um, an egregious foul to them because they are so comfortable. They have never been challenged in any real sort of way um, based on identity that somebody else saying, hey, I've been challenged. I just want to be seen. This flag is a symbol of that, um, of that um, to them is just um, off the rails. Um, what is What are some of the, the words that I hear like liberal supremacy? What's his name that ran? Clar, uh, uh, the, the guy that ran for governor. Um, myself, Susana Davis, Kaya Morris, we're all black supremacists. <laughs> it's like, man, you are so out of touch uh, with reality. What is that's the only thing I can see is that they are just so out of touch with the reality of people who um, are oppressed. What that, does Black Lives Matter mean to you? Black Lives Matter means Black Lives. It's just saying, stop killing us. Treat us with equity. Pay attention to the ways that this system was built upon our backs and on the land of the indigenous people and understand what that means for why things are the way that they are. Um, you know, I keep what is the one that I hear? Um, this is based on one of the um, memes that uh, one of the uh, select board members or aldermen put out, you know, but when I hear some of the rhetoric, it's like, man, you guys have been saying that black people are lazy ever since we stopped working for free. Did you ever think about that? Did you ever think about, you know, how anything, how any history plays a role in where we are now? Um, so for me, Black Lives Matter is really just saying just let us be, stop killing us. Systems, we need, we need adequate access to systems and we need um, systems of protection to protect us and stop killing us. I am often, you know, when these furors erupt in communities around Black Lives Matter flags, you know, the latest was in Barry, you know, and all the smoke and fire and heat that's generated by community, by people, protesting it, I, I'm often brought back to what the flag says that they're objecting to. And those three words, Black right. Lives Matter. Right. Why what is, is that the most right. provocative thing? Like, what are you reading between what lines do you see something other than Black Lives Matter? Like, and you've, you've probably seen the analogy. If my house is on fire and my neighbor's house is not, you know, where are you going to aim your fire hoses to put out the fire? Where's the water going to go? You know, saying, hey, this house is on fire doesn't mean that that house isn't a house or doesn't have value. Or if it got on fire, that we wouldn't pay attention to it. But it's not on fire right now. And like I said, I think that that's where the fear and the just the outright shock that um, some of these white folks are experiencing is coming from. It's just they have never um, had to stop and think about what it means that we just need a flag to say that we exist. You are a sixth generation Vermonter. Can you share a little bit about your family story? Yeah. Um, so my grandfather's, uh, family came down through Canada, um, French, Canadian, Scottish, um, settled in central Vermont and 
my grandfather died in 2012 in a house that he was born in in 1914. And that's the family farm that I grew up on. Um, it's, yeah, it's your pretty standard sort of um, salt of the earth farming family. Um, what did your family farm? Um, it was my, my grandfather raised beef cattle. Um, at one point he had pigs too. And um, that was, you know, my grandmother was um, a baker and taught piano lessons and that's how they made their living. Um, and that's the farm where I grew up um, until my brother kind of came of age and my mother realized that um, raising young black kids uh, through puberty in Vermont was not going to be easy. So she wanted us to live somewhere with more diversity <laughs> and moved us to Wallingford, Vermont. I laugh because it's hysterical. Um, you know, Vermont, that was considered diverse. Um, and, you know, kind of growing up, I realized very quickly that it didn't matter that I was a sixth generation Vermonter. I was not a Vermonter. I was not welcome here. And so I left and um, came back and decided, no, I am a Vermonter. You don't get to kick me out. I may move around in my state, but this is still my state and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that people look like me have access to the amazing resources that are in Vermont. And you oh, left for, for how long? I left uh, for 13 years and uh, went out to central New York um, and lived and worked out there and went to school and got to see just a different, you know, I, I saw people that looked like me for the first time in my life. I was probably, I was 21, almost 22 years old before I had um, a teacher that looked like me. When you came back after 13 years, Rutland County, what had changed? Um, it seemed much sadder in a lot of ways. Rutland seems a lot, you know, the mall was dying. Um, when I was a kid, I was actually one of the first people that worked in the mall, the new mall, the diamond, the now dead diamond run mall. And, um, it almost seemed like it was a little bit more thriving back then than it did when I came came home. But I saw I saw more people of color. Um, I guess the heroin um, epidemic happened in the late '90s, early 2000s. I didn't, you know, that wasn't a thing when I was a kid. Um, there were more businesses when I was a child than when I, you know, when I came back. Um, what I, mm -hmm. what led you to want to start uh, the NAACP chapter? Well, I came back to, to do something about um, about the fact that, you know, I, I as a kid had, had felt incredibly invisible. Um, I was I was both, you know, very much out there on a stage. You're both hyper visible and invisible as a kid of color here. And um, I knew that my um, my feelings, you know, they weren't just my own, that there were other kids, you know, in marginalized groups, you know, LGBTQIA um, identities. Um, immigrants like there were so many people that had to be feeling what i was feeling and so i came back and started working at my alma mater because i wanted to try to make that that sort of change i really wanted to make it so that everybody felt heard and seen and loved and ran this is into uh, some, mill, mill river union high school yeah and i ran into some pretty intense brick walls around trying to do the work at mill river um it was not a good experience trying to do this there and um I looked around me and saw my larger community and um, decided, well, why not create a lighthouse and see, see who shows up? <laughs> um, and now it's the second largest branch in New England. 
Um, so a lot of people are showing up. There's a lot of people who want to do this work and just don't know how because it's so easy in Vermont to pretend that racism isn't an issue. Um, so yeah. What does uh, what does racial justice look like? What what should it look like in Vermont? What would a community that you would feel more welcome in uh, look like and respond to the challenges that you faced? Right. Well, I think you you kind of hit it on the head there. I mean, it would be responsive. It would be proactive. Um, they would be asking themselves the critical questions of, you know, not just how do we get people here, but how do we make it so that people want to stay? And we want to stay when we say something, um, you know, about our experience, like, you know, like, um, hey, that person just, you know, said something, you know, totally off the wall. And somebody else, instead of saying, well, well, are you sure it was racist? Is like, wow, you know, maybe we should check in with them. Or like my friend in the, the meeting yesterday and hearing the N-word that people stand up and say, wait a second, like, I know you were trying to, you know, just like convey a point. And I also know that using that word in any context is not okay. So could you just say the N-word next time, please? Like people would interrupt it when they see it. Um, hair care products <laughs> in the store aren't guarded. <laughs> there are, there's a couple stores here, I'm not naming names, but uh, you go down the, the hair care aisle um, and you get to the ethnic section and there's cameras. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, it's, um, we would see more people in positions of power and in home ownership. Vermont has one of the worst rates of uh, minority home ownership in the United States. Um, and that's not because we don't have money and it's not because we don't, you know, we aren't interested. Um, I think, yeah, those are some of the things. I mean, you moved from... at this point, at this point, just being able to walk down the street and not worry that somebody is going to say something off the wall. My friend was at um, Price Chopper and some guy walked up to her one second. Some guy walked up to her and uh, says, black lives don't matter. She was just getting groceries. Like, this is what happens when we just go to the store. People staring at you, uh, you know, it's just. Do you um, think that, I mean, how much does Trump have to do this in giving, you know, in terms of, you know, do people feel entitled now to say these things, do the racial justice protests, where do you kind of, what do you trace this to? Was Was this happening four years ago? Well, yeah, I mean, it's always been happening. The difference is whether or not white people are paying attention. Mm -hmm. So these things have been happening. Like I said, I left for a reason as a child. I had a substitute teacher who told um, a biology class that the reason that brown people, brown and black people had dark skin is because we descended from apes, but white people descended from God. This is a substitute biology teacher. And I was like, I am not going back in that class. And so what happened? This is 1995. Um, so it's not just Trump, right? It's been here the whole time. And what happened in that situation is the same thing that happens now. And it was, oh, Tabitha, you don't have to go back to that class. You know, we'll keep her here for the rest of the, you know, the, the other teachers leave. And then when she, when she finishes her term, then we just won't hire her back as a teacher. That is what, that is what Vermont racism looks like. It looks like making it comfortable for white people because there's more of them or because it's too uncomfortable to deal with. Um, so no, Trump, all Trump did was shine a light on what's art. I was grateful for Trump's presidency in the regard that um, 
all he did was shine light on what we have been saying for years. All of a sudden, more white people could not excuse behavior. That whole like, well, are you sure it's racism that we've been getting for decades? People were suddenly like, nope, nope, it's not. It's it's not. It, it really is racism. Um, so I'm almost kind of grateful that he did it. And, and I'm almost grateful for people like Art Peterson and some of these other folks out there um, spewing hatred and nonsense about um, uh, brown people and about gay people. And um, because then it's harder for school boards to, um, to hide or to pretend that we can play nice. It, it, you can't just sit in the middle anymore. You have to stand on the side of justice or declare that you're not.